Hello, comedy geeks, comedy nerds, friends of the funny. I'm Mike George. And I'm Masavia Greer. And today on Comedy Anatomy, we have the funny and amazing Gary Goldman. Gary is a truly hilarious comic. His last stand-up special, The Great Depression, was a huge success, very introspective and powerful. Uh, he was in Warner Brothers' The Joker, playing Surprise, a stand-up comic. He's in Amy Schumer's upcoming series, Life and Beth. And Gary is actually playing Carnegie Hall, in New York City on November 13th in this Our Lord's Year of 2021. Very exciting for him. Also, we have our live show at The Cutting Room in New York City on September 28th with Greg Rogel, Mark Theobald, Yamanika Saunders, and an interview with Tony Woods. So go to ComedyAnatomy.com for details and tickets. Now please enjoy our interview with Gary Goldman. Yeah, Gary, thank you so much for coming, man. This is this is amazing for for me. I know, dude. It's it's um. Know you guys go back, but for me, it's yeah. Amazing. We go back go a long back. way. I used to get on stage at the Boston Comedy Club and wherever else I could get on. So that's how I became close with with Masavia. Yeah, you're the only comic too. <laughs> if you comics don't mind, because yeah. everyone else calls you Mo. You Mo to yeah, everybody. You blush, Gary. You're making me blush, bro. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Our show is really about trying to see how comics work, how you think. But what's so unique about you is you've been so honest in your last special, The Great Depression, that you've already, <laughs> I mean, really, uh, I'm sure there's a lot more to you. I'm not saying that that's everything, but that was really right. one of the most amazing uh, specials I've ever seen. Because it was not only hilarious, it was just so... Uh, raw and honest and powerful. And you put it out there, Gary. So, I mean, I was curious about when you were coming up, growing up, who made you really laugh? Yeah, I mean, the, the first comedian I fell in love with, because my, my mom was really good about letting me stay up late to watch to watch Johnny Carson, if there was a if there was a comedian on, she would call me into the family room. And I remember there was this one guy and he, he was also on there. The, the thing I miss and the thing that, that I have such resentment towards Ellen DeGeneres for is that we used to have stand-up comedians on in the afternoon and Merv Griffin and Mike Douglas, who nobody, nobody knows them anymore, <laughs> but Merv Griffin is best known for creating Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune. And Mike Douglas was this guy who hosted a show in Philadelphia. Anyhow, they would have a lot of comedians on, but the one I remembered, he was the guest, was this guy, David Brenner, who I actually got to become friends with later in my career. But man, he he just a good comedian almost feels like a a like a sorcerer that they that they see these little things that you do or that you experience. And then you thought to yourself, oh, I'm the only person who shakes my hand under the water to see if it's getting hotter or colder. And then they point that out and you're like, oh, my gosh, this person is, is a is a psychic or, or something. And I, I remember feeling that with him. And also there's this, this thing that comedians do and, it, and it, it's not just on stage. A lot of times it's in their lifestyle, which is good and bad, but they remain childish and immature for a really long time. And sometimes their entire lives and they, they take great pleasure and in, in glee and in, in these little things that adults had grown out of. And, and so it was, it was really a special connection I had with the, with the comedians, especially David Brenner when I was, when I was really young. Right. And I, and I love when you talked about in your special, you know, if you get good at something, you can finally be 
happy, oh, yeah. which, which is something we talk about a lot on this show. We talk a lot about because this dream of making it and you're going to finally yeah. be happy. Was comedy also one of those things? Was comedy something you thought, well, I'm going to tackle this and this is going to get me to a really positive place? Yeah, I mean, partially there was one thing that I've noticed in my in my life is that I'm I'm happiest when I'm spending a lot of time in pursuit of a dream or a, or a goal. So the, when I was really young, 10 years old on, my goal was to be a great basketball player. And so, I, I mean, the, the same type of passionate devotion and dedication that I have to comedy, I had to basketball. And I, I just, I, I was, I was an expert in in the play of basketball and I went to camps and I practiced every afternoon and then, and then that wasn't panning out. And my next thing became comedy. One of the things is that I kept telling myself that I'd really be happy when I, when I achieved something, but really I was, I was happy in, in pursuit of it, mm -hmm. but, but mm -hmm. America and parents, they, make you think that there needs to be an end game that leaves you at, at least financially secure or comfortable. And, and I, I wish I, I hadn't attached that to comedy as, as soon as I had, I mean, from the beginning, it was like, how am I going to make it so that I can make a living at doing this thing that I love instead of just saying, I found this thing that I love and, right. and, and basketball. I had, we all have dreams of becoming a professional basketball player, but for the most part, I, I did it because I loved it and I looked forward to it. And, and it made me really happy to hear the sound of the ball going through a, through, I mean, I'm old enough where the nets were made out of chains when I went to the park. Right, so, back the day, right? I, I, I love that. If you were lucky enough to have a chain that was still on the, yes. on the rim, it made this great sound that was like dropping a, a whole lot of silverware, but, it cheap silverware, but but silverware nonetheless. And and so I, I I really if I if I had to start over again in comedy, I would say just pursue this with the energy that comes naturally, not because you're you're trying to do it for your career. And and it would have happened either way because I'm like like most of the people in comedy who make it, we we were going to make it because we loved it, not because we wanted to to be famous or rich and everything I, I can i can tell the guys and girls or women who are going to make it by how much they love comedy the more they talk about their agents and their their uh auditions and managers and all this stuff i know that's going to cloud their their brains and 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 so i i I really, I can, I can tell somebody's going to be in it for the long haul if they, if they love it. Like that, there's, there, there are people who I don't even like their comedy, and I know that they are going to, they're going to make it because they love it so much. Right. I mean, you're such a wordsmith. When you were young, were you a big reader? I mean, how do you? Yeah, I've, I've always been a, I've always been a reader, and, and I, I. I really don't understand this this pride with which a lot of comedians will tell their audiences that they they never read and they can't read or they don't read or won't read. It's it's just I don't know if you've ever read Stephen King's book on writing, and yeah. it, it's it's really helpful. It's very inspiring. But the the thing that most people don't acknowledge 
in that book is that he, at the very end, he has this list of all the books he's read in the last couple of years. And it's insane. Yeah. Wow. I can't, it, you know, what's really funny. I read that. I just finished that last week. Cause I read oh, it again. Amazing. And I'm so glad I brought it up. Yeah. I literally just, and at the end he says, well, I don't read a lot. I read about 80 books a year. Like he literally yeah. says not a lot in 80 books. Yeah. Which is more than one a week. And that's, 80, you know, 80 books is, is, a lot of <laughs> a lot of books. Yeah, I'm feeling like, stupid right now. Jesus. Christ. Well, I you, well, you know what he talked. He he made me feel like I need to read more fiction. You read a lot of nonfiction, but he really pushes read fiction because it's, it's better than watching a movie. It's better than watching a movie. Well, it's all it's also wordplay comes more in fiction than in nonfiction. Nonfiction is obviously yeah. a little more academic, where you know people who who are making these beautiful imagery that you're seeing as you read is coming from fiction. So yeah, the, yeah. I, I mean, I read nonfiction for information, and then and then fiction for for words, phrases, ideas, and and maybe this isn't even true, but it's it seems that this sounds counterintuitive, but it seems that fiction is more honest because you're able to put these either horrific or outrageous thoughts in fictitious characters' minds. But it it means that oh, somebody thought of this. Somebody thought this absurd ridiculous horrific idea and i've had that similar idea and and i'm not the only one and and there's there's room for all these these ideas and 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 it's it's just i the other thing with with reading books or listening to books which i do all the time is that it it keeps filling up your your inventory of of words and adding to it and and a, a lot of times the comedy comes not from a word that's that's so arcane or obscure, but from a word that you forgot you even knew and and or or came across so many times that it that it just lost its meaning and nobody ever really really examined it. And and so so that's what I'm looking for. And I I yeah I used to read 50 books a year and and now I'm I'm on pace to read. 100 books the past two years but that's wow those are pandemic wow. years there was nothing else to do so <laughs> let me ask you so, this guys as smart comedians how do you dumb it down to the audiences i don't dumb it down i i assume if i know a word then everyone knows that word because i am not i'm only slightly above average in in my uh iq and well, you think you are it, well think and and my sat scores were were we're pretty average. So I, I think at, at the very least, um, the people will be able to get the words from, from context. And also I know that just, I love shows like, like uh, West wing where these really smart people talk. I mm -hmm. love listening to smart people talk. And, and so I, I try to put at, at least a, a, a few words or expressions or phrases or references that I, I would want to hear. I've said this a lot, but the the whole thing with my philosophy of what to say in your stand-up act is is what do you want to what do you want to hear that nobody else is saying? Right, right. But how do you phrase it? You know how you phrase it because you also had comics back in the day who there were only a few guys who can really dig deep and they have their only a certain amount of audience, right? So you yeah. have guys, the, the, the typical guys who are very popular, very famous, usually don't talk about anything too heady or too over the top. They're afraid to, even if they are smart. I mean, do you find it that you have to keep a range? Oh, that's, that's, 
That's interesting. I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't want to be the, the guy who only the, the, the comedians are, are laughing at. I want to be the guy that, that the audience and the comedians are, are laughing at. So that's, that's a step before the, the guy who only the comedians get. And, and let me tell you something, there are comedians who, who are speaking to the comedians and I, I love them and I, I appreciate them, but I don't, um, I don't have the stomach for some of the experience you you have when you're when you're when you're playing to the back of the room. The audiences can, especially if you're playing in the comedy clubs, they can really, they can really get hostile. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I don't, I don't have the stomach for it. I I, I become um, outraged and and uh, and lash out, and it's it's just it's ugly. Well, you know, one bit that you do, and I always was wondering, because it's such a genius bit, but I, I was like, is this tour? The, um, your state abbreviation, which is so famous, but can you do okay. that on the road? Or like, on, I, I mean, it's so good, but I can see if that's not hitting the right audience, if they're too drunk or if they're, too, they're not yeah. thinking you're on a train now, how do you get off? You know what I mean? Like it's- a, yeah, I, mean, I mean, the thing, the thing with that joke is, is that, it, it was assembled over literally over decades. And it was one of those things that I, I, I got so much confidence in it once it worked that even if I did it on a, on a show where nobody liked it, I knew that I was, I was right. And, and they were wrong. So I could, I could get through it. And, and I, I'm, I'm defiant in, in that way. If, if, if I've done a joke a lot and the right people have told me, that it's that it's good and the the right comedians have told me that it's good then there there's not an audience who can who can knock me off that that uh perch there right so how long did it take you to have that compass where you're not second guessing yourself with audiences you know what i'm because that's experience yeah. that is not a how oh, do you go it didn't work but i i know it's okay i'm moving on versus do i need to change it should i shorten it uh, yeah. do i need to rethink it that's a great question. It, it wasn't until I had, I, I mean, I still have this and I'm very, very fortunate, although I whine about it a, a lot. I have this thing where I go on the road and I perform in front of audiences who are there to see me and they get me and they, 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 they believe in me. And then I come back to New York and I do shows. They don't know, they don't know who I am. And I'm, I'm, doing doing jokes practicing jokes that sometimes they won't like and i'll i'll think uh it's fine because i know i know what my audiences will appreciate and i know what i appreciate and and i'll stick with this i may not i may not do it at the at the shows in in new york but i'm going to i'm going to save this and and the the final judgment will be my own audience if i can't if they don't enjoy it then one, I'll be surprised. Two, I'll I'll have to, I'll have to rework it because that that's the that's the other thing I always want to tell young comedians. If you if you have an idea, and the state abbreviations one is a really good example. If you have an idea that nobody else has bothered with, and you should never stop working on that that idea, no matter how many times it, it bombs. I wouldn't say go up with the same with the same attempt every night with the same words in the same sentences in the same order but you should you should stick with that because it's 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 hard to create something that hasn't been been covered at, at this point with with twitter and and nine different tv shows that that have 
that have stand-ups and 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 monologues on it's you you should you should really persevere with with anything you find that's that's unusual like that right uh, you know, that's that's interesting too i wanted to ask you when do you think a comic is going too far you know when things happen tragedies oh, yeah 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 i i mean if you never want to do a commercial or be on a network show say whatever you want every every single night and and you'll probably find an audience for it but then then don't whine because you can't sell soap or or sell a uh i don't know a, a a um a soda or be on saturday night live it's capitalism that you're angry at it's not <laughs> it's not so much cancel culture it's it's capitalism capitalism is always going to try to make money and when they're losing subscriptions or 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 sales sponsors because people are boycotting they're going to make an adjustment so if you divorce yourself from capitalism you can still say whatever you want within reason you can't scream fire and you can't threaten to assassinate the president but every other thing you can say and 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 they are still they are still saying it i mean the irony is some of these people are saying these things that i can't say this anymore but they're saying it on a netflix special or an hbo special so it's it's um it seems kind of disingenuous to to me that that my 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 view on on this is is that there there hasn't been like lenny bruce was being arrested. There haven't been arrests for for right, saying right. things. So so I feel like if there's an arrest for saying something, then maybe we'll we should stop. We should stop. Well, I mean, yeah, if you want to go back to yeah. that's an interesting point though because I've never thought of this. The what's the difference? And and I, truthfully, of Lenny Bruce being arrested compared to the intense shame you feel being attacked by the internet. You know what I mean? And I have never hoped to be in that place. And hopefully none right. of us here ever will, but that is, right. that is a weight, you know, that yeah. is a weight and, and celebrities are commenting on it. And this person's commenting on it and the news talks about it. And they try to shut just, you down. It's like they're shutting you down. Yeah. Um, but I don't it, think but the, well, but there's a, just, I'm just saying they're very, di they're, they're different results from the same action. You know, what is yeah. worse being arrested which probably is worse, right? I don't know. I'd, be, I'd rather not be arrested, but that shame is powerful. Yeah, know? I mean, the difference, I guess, is that one is government sanctioned and the other is just an angry mob. <laughs> yeah, but what is, uh, but what would you say? And I shouldn't say just because I am terrified of an angry mob. So, <laughs> me too, uh, me too. What, what, I'm, what I'm saying is, is that the, it's interesting because the, it's it's two sides of free speech this angry mob screaming at you to be fired and then you saying something that is an expression of your free speech so there i mean it's it's uh this sounds like a cop-out but it's so complicated right it is it's a, it's a loaded question one, one thing that i wanted to talk to you about too gary is i loved your twitter your comedy tips on twitter oh, thanks man how important is it to help young comics it's it's something that i'm just i'm copying i'm, I'm doing the same thing that was i mean i'm on this because masavia was so generous with me all those years so i 
if he if he hadn't stood out as a as a generous, encouraging, supportive member of the comedy community, when he oh. said, "Do you want to come on my podcast?" I would have said, "Well, I don't even remember you," <laughs> but he made such a an impact in my in my life, and it was and what you have to understand is when you're until you're a, a international superstar, which there's like three of them, you need waitresses and bookers and people who are are uh, administrators at the comedy clubs and and things like that and and to tell you that you're not insane that you're good at this and that you're funny and that you're a good guy and and that um you should keep doing this because i i mean one thing that most humans have in common is that we we walk around with a lot of insecurity so I got a lot of lot of input and I asked a lot of questions. And uh, I mean, a lot of the tips were just things that I had heard early on or somewhere along the line. And and so I, I when when things started to really come together for me as a as a as a brain, as far as my brain started to operate properly, I was so grateful. I was looking for different things that I could do to to help out. And, and so I, I, I said to my, she was my girlfriend at the time. I, I said, what do you think would happen if I tweeted out a, a comedy tip every day? And, and she said, I think people would love it. And, and as soon as she said that, because she has a, a great mind as, as far as what, what, um, what will work and what won't. And I, I was in, so that, that was something that, that made me feel less guilty about the success I was coming into because there's in in any in any art form there's this survivor's guilt where you're like there's a lot of comedians who are as good as me that didn't get the opportunities that didn't have the breaks who weren't young enough good looking enough or or whatever it was to 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 hit and and I'm getting that so I I want I want to I want to share and and try to dispel some of the ideas that that comedians have grown up with, which is one of them that always drove me crazy was that you you only get one shot and don't blow it. And then Eminem, he says you only get one shot. But then in the movie that he says you only get one shot, he gets a second shot within within an hour and a half of the beginning of the movie. So I I, I but the I song, the song would suck if it was you get unlimited oh. shots. <laughs> You get dozens of opportunities. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. not as cool. Yeah, it's not as cool. My sweater. But, da, 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 but it, yeah, yeah, but it makes you. It makes you want to throw up. It does. <laughs> the idea of having one try, oh, yeah, one yeah, yeah. time, and if you blow it, your yeah. life is ruined. It's too yeah. much. And that's something I I wanted to mention to you too. To switch gears a little bit, your joke in the special again about uh, which is so true. The two medications back then were what was it? Suck it up and. Uh, uh, and so it was, and uh, what do you have to be depressed about? Or what do you have to be depressed about? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You have this incredibly low self-esteem because you just think, well, it's just me. It's I'm just a weak person, you know, and to have you out there now saying that means a lot to people of our generation, I think. Oh, it was very helpful for me. I mean, depression was, it was uh, not only parts of my life, but other people that I know who suffered, but they had to suck it up, meaning have to suck it up generation and how it affected their lives later because they didn't yeah. understand what it was, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's, it's generational, it's regional, it's, it's cultural, it's, it's ethnic. I, I, I mean, it's just the, the people and, and 
And even within different regions, there are different expectations and acceptances. So it's it's just I I I really I I I hate to generalize, but that's all we do in in comedy is really generalize. But for the most part, I feel like the the younger generation is exposed to more more positive and and more optimistic ideas of of depression and anxiety and and more helpful. I I think. But but I was this was going on in the 80s and, and 90s when I first got diagnosed. And there were there were people on my my in my football program where I was where I was being treated or who I went through to get treatment. And they were understanding. So it, it wasn't but it really varies. I, I mean, yeah, yeah. Okay, when you did Masha, when you did boy, boyish man, right? Um, yeah. Difference where and you were still dealing with depression then. But yeah. were you able to, you couldn't, did you have to put that to the side, like at that well, time? I, I mean, there, it's interesting because I, I, I would try to talk about it for time, from time to time on, on stage. And I, I, would, I would put it out there and depending on the, the room or the audience, it would, it would and, and we're, so, we're so attached to whether something works, which means it gets a, which mm -hmm. means it gets a laugh. Right. And it may have worked. It just didn't get a laugh. Maybe people thought this was really interesting and would have liked to have heard more of it. But we, we, I, I mean, Masavia knows what I'm talking about. In the in the early '90s, with regards to comedy, you killed or you didn't work. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was it. Um, and if you go into Montreal, if you're trying to get certain places and get a deal. You better kill. I don't want to hear yeah. any personal stuff. Yeah. <laughs> bomb. So I, I thought that was interesting watching some of your specials, even then thinking about and then watching Depression. And I'm like, wow, you were dealing with all of that shit. But yeah. like you had to suck it up so you can get, you know, you had to keep moving. Yeah. And, and that's was, that's a really interesting point because I was 23 or 24 years into comedy when I started writing maybe 25 years into comedy when I started writing the Great Depression stuff. And I had this club in Cambridge in Harvard Square where the guy would put me on every night I came in, whether I bombed or whether I killed. Now, I couldn't have gone in and bombed in any club I know of really in, in New York. I would have gotten less spots the next week. So I, I had this place. So it was just, it was, it was a very fortunate I mean, it was unfortunate that I was laid so low that I had to move back home to Massachusetts. But it was fortunate that I had this place nearby that I could that I could work out this stuff without without losing this thing that was getting me out of the house. So that was always the thing in New York. You need to do well at these clubs so you can get spots, you can get out of the house and 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 keep your 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 mood positive. So it, right. it's just it's 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 such a weird business where the better you get at it, the easier the audiences are and the more, the more uh, you, you're allowed to fail. Right. And, and when you're trying to learn it, if you fail, you get less opportunity. Yeah. To <laughs> right. You, you can experiment. It's, yeah. So, so with, uh, and we can move on. I mean, are, one thing I want to ask too, are you trying to, are you moving past talking about depression then? Are you, are you sort of, okay still talking about it or oh yeah yeah i pre i appreciate that nobody really cares but i i don't mind talking about it because i think that there are still people who who haven't seen it 
and it's still relevant. It, it holds up, and nobody's been handling the the pandemic perfectly. So it's it's mm -hmm. always helpful to have something to to uh, refer to or or get you through these times. So I I don't mind talking about it at all. But but thank you. That's very thoughtful of you to ask. Well, I mean, it's like you have evolved too as a comedian. Like you, I, I I've seen like this spiritual being grow. You know, like oh, me yeah. and I talk about this all the time. We talk about what this business can do to you, you know, and how it can destroy your well-being, you know, just because you're in pursuit of something. And when you finally get it, it's like, wait a minute, it's not all of that. that could be <laughs> yeah, the moving goalpost. We call it the moving, you know, it's a common yeah, phrase, but we always say, you get to here, I just got to get to there. Then you get to there and then that's not enough. And, then you, and there's no there there and accepting that in, a, yeah. in, a, in an industry. every day. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, it's, it's interesting and I, and I, I, I I'm not a big name dropper, but this one was really this one was really helpful. Um, the day after the the special aired, the Great Depression, which had been my my drive and my my every everything during most of the day was was geared toward preparing that for several months and promoting it and 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 recording it. But anyhow, the day after the the special aired. Judd Apatow, who was the executive producer and and was was really helpful in in getting it made and selling it and then and then producing it, um, he called me and he was like, "You feel um, this incredible letdown, and you uh, are tempted to want to do something right away to recapture that feeling that you had last night and the past few weeks, which was so exciting." And um, and he said something to the effect of that is a that is a hamster wheel you will never get off and it and it will never it will you're thinking right now is that all there is and all there is is being funny and around your friends and and doing comedy and that's what there is this this business of trying to come up with the next thing and the next big right, right, the next right. big production it's it's a it's a it's a dead end. It's a dead wow. end. And I, and I, I had, I had that feeling. I was like, now I got to do something to equal it. And, and then I realized, no, you're just trying to get that, that feeling back. That's really and, cool. And you don't that. need that. You don't need that feeling, especially if it turns out that it's meaningless and it's, and it's useless. So that was, that was so helpful and really has, has made my life since that day much, much easier, much better, because I, I just went back to doing what I love to do, which is to, which is to write jokes, tell them, and then make them work better. Just to go back to when in the comedy club day, back in the days when we were doing the clubs, a lot of comedians depended on drugs and alcohol. I don't, I don't ever remember you engaging in that. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was, I was lucky in, in that I, I, didn't have that type of personality. I didn't, I didn't feel that great after drinking all night. I drank here and there, but I never felt great the next day. And I also wanted to remain productive. And while I was out at the club, I wanted to be, to be at my best. And I, and I, and I also saw a lot of guys get in trouble in the, in the clubs with, with the, with the people who work there and other comedians by being, being drunk and, and, I, I mean, I, I smoked weed for, for a while in my early forties, but then that stopped really helping. It was, it was making the next days pretty foggy and kind of depressed. So I, 
I stopped doing that. And, and now I'm just a, 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 a coffee. I use coffee as, as Great I, edge. That, first coffee, that first coffee in the day makes me feel like a, a God. So <laughs> it seemed like your comedy before the great depression was much more intellectual. Um, <laughs> no, but it was, it was very, you know, you wordplay and, and then, and then it was this turn, right? Cause I, I've been following you for a lot of years, way before that. And I really loved your, I've loved your comedy for a very long time. When did that happen? And how did you even come up? I mean, first of all, am I, tell me if I'm right, but when did that start? Well, if you mean intellectual in terms of, of that, it was more heady than, than heart. Well, that, then, that's, yeah, that's what I yeah, mean. That, Sorry. Intellectual. Yeah. So yeah, I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll re- I could rephrase that where it was more heady. When I first started to do comedy after I got out of the out of the psych ward, it was clear that something was was off physically. My hands shook ridiculously. I was biting my lip all the time. I had this this nervous tick that I would just stick out my lip all the time, and and I had to address it. And the most comfortable way for a comedian to address anything serious is is through jokes so i i prepared some jokes i had this this one joke that i had done it was the only five minutes i had written in two years now just to put that in perspective i i've written over two and a half hours since i got well but the two years that i was sick two and a half years that i was sick i came up with five minutes and it was all about how difficult it was for me to do the simplest day-to-day things. And, and I wound up, it was the closing thing in the, in the Great Depression where I talked about eating ice cream with a fork, that I didn't have enough energy to wash a spoon. Yeah. And all I wanted to do was eat sweets. And yeah. so I had that and I used it to say that I'm depressed. And that's why my hands are shaking. That's why I look like this. That's why I haven't showered in the past few days. That's why I haven't. <laughs> that's why I haven't shaved. Or if I have shaved, I've missed se- several spots because I was in such a rush. That's why I'm wearing a, a, a baseball hat and glasses, and I don't look like myself. So I, I, I sort of felt like I had to address it. And when the stuff that I was addressing it with was getting real laughs, and people were coming up to me after the show and saying that was really meaningful to them. I was getting this reward, which mm. once, once that happened, well, why would I, why would I, why would I only do jokes that are, that are from without rather than from, from inside me? So why would I, why would I go back to that? Now I, I'm not saying that I don't still do jokes that have nothing to do with my, my personal take or, or my feelings, but I, I find that, that it's, it's much more rewarding as far as the audience's enjoy that more and feel they're, they're and they are getting to know me better. And also I, I, I feel it's a little bit harder. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I don't know that, that you necessarily get much funnier after a certain point you, but the level of difficulty you want to keep raising so that, I mean, partially so that the other comedians can say, Oh, we, we can, we can talk about things that are more, more difficult and we don't have to re- rely on the the things that we've done in the, in the past i mean i i think as part of the leaving those tips it, it also held me accountable that i that i have to you, you don't want to be the guy who gives tips but he's not really that great at the thing anymore he's just <laughs> right. a, a, 
uh, a, a teacher, which is which is fine. But in in comedy, that you don't really take classes in in comedy. I admire I admire teachers, obviously, but I I, I don't I don't know that many colleges offer a, a course in it. The point is, is that I want to. They always say about these great athletes, they led by example, and I, I like to try to do that with comedy because it's it's not right to tell somebody, hey you should do jokes that are harder. You should do jokes, <laughs> right, yeah. you should do jokes that, that yeah. are, are, um, that are more original. It's, it's easier to do that. And then hopefully they'll be motivated by that. You know, too, Gary, in, in saying that too, as a spectator and as a guy who booked and managed and watched comedians and is always encouraging, I always like to see comics evolve, you know, yes. from the time they started till now. And if, I see some comics, and I would never say names, but still do the same jokes that they may have done 20 years ago. Same yeah. just, and it kills. Yeah. It's like, but their minds never evolved. They've never, it's like never traveling out of your neighborhood. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, I like to see that in comedy. You know, I like to see that in comics. It's unfair. I think if you're a comedian, and I'm sure I know I could name three or four guys that we're talking about here but it would be unprofessional, but it's unfair to yourself because it is mentally exhausting to do the same jokes every night, to know that I'm going to have to do the same stuff that I really have grown tired of. It's unfair to the audiences because they really enjoy you. They could see if you would just push yourself. And then the other thing that nobody takes into account is that there are comedians, younger who are working really hard and writing and you're taking up space. (laughs) You're taking up the the spots that they could have and you know, these jokes work. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need to keep rehashing them. That's a well put way, man. Yeah. That's so true. Are you, has your comedy evolved? Would you say uh, exponentially over uh, the last couple of years? Cause it seems like. I would say it's evolved geometrically geometrically um, okay yeah not not exponentially but uh th- there there have been some some pretty big leaps i would i would say in the past few years and part of it is confidence but the other part is that i've been lucky enough to have a a, a nice fan base that allows me to work on stuff and and mm-hmm. keep going in the direction that i've that i've found helpful so i i have this voice which is like the the thing that takes the longest in in comedy. You you get laughs long before you find your voice. So I have this voice that's that's sort of a formula of what I can write about and and what I like to write about. And then I have these audiences that are generous and and appreciate me. So so that that's why it seems like it's exponential or or that it's that it's been rapid. But it, it's the the confluence of those two things. The confidence. But probably the confidence comes from knowing that I'll have a- anywhere I go at least a few hundred people who want to who want to see me, and in right. and in some places like a few thousand, like in in big cities, I, I can fill a big theater. So that brings me confidence. But also this audience, I I know it's not that I know what they like; it's that we like the same thing. Right? right. They're they're your people. Yeah. It's yes. it's it's interesting because I remember hearing early on don't write for what the audience likes write for what you like but initially you can't really get away with that you need right, to right. 
You need to get yeah. laugh off the You're audience. Not gonna be able to, well, yeah, right? you can put on your beret and say, well, yeah. I think this is funny. It's like, I don't know. Yeah. 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 I, I, I mean, it's okay to have a few of those, but if it's the entire set, then, then it's going to be slim pickings for a long time. But right. after you peeled those layers too, Gary, did you find it easier to live? Like you, when you get, when you gave away all that shit, like when you put it out there. Yeah. That's a great question. Yeah. That's such a, yeah. that's such a great question because I remember one of the big things in my, in my um, growth as a human being was, was there was a time where I didn't want anybody to know anything about me. I didn't want anybody to have anything on me that I was, that I was depressed, that I was anxious, that I was insecure, that I was capable of, of, of tremendous uh, uh, pain, emotional pain and all these things. And, and that I was, that I was uh, inconsistent in my mood that I would go months without, without being able to, to open up my notebook or anything. And then I had this therapist who's like the comedian's therapist in New York City that there there's like nine other comedians in New York who see this guy wow and, and he said to me he said if everybody knows everything about you they'll have nothing on you right and and so that was that was so helpful that that I I wasn't trying to keep secrets and not let people in on things and and be strong and, and stoic and, and I'm all for stoicism, but when it, when it comes to, to hiding these aspects of your life that once they're out there, nobody gave a shit right. and, and <laughs> was uncomfortable. I remember I, the, one of the final things I started talking about in, in my, my show, the great depression was, was having ECT treatments that I thought was going to horrify people and they, they would be so uncomfortable and they wouldn't laugh at it. And they would think I was, I was a, a freak. And it got out there to the point where I did a benefit show at my high school. And there were people that I went to high school with and teachers. And I was, as I was saying this, I, I said, you realize this is a, this is a nightmare that everybody who I went to high school is here and that I'm telling them my deepest, darkest secrets, but it was, it was uh, elating. It's also you have a very open, honest demeanor. So I think it it's so disarming that you can make things that seem uh, scary, not scary for I'm just saying to go through. I don't mean scary yeah. for to hear about. No, I understand that totally. makes it, um, you know, something that's understandable and, and, and you bring a warmth to it, which is so great. Uh, yeah, and, but I, I, I mean, that, that, that's something that I developed over, over time and I eased into it. And the reward was so, was so overwhelmingly positive that after a while, it wasn't that, it wasn't that difficult. I started mm. to look for, for, well, what are the other things I've been, I've been keeping to myself because maybe, maybe people will find those funny or interesting or, or unusual. And, and so, so that's been really, really helpful. Well, you have a big show coming up, right? Do you have a yeah. big show? Yeah. Carnegie yeah, Hall, November thirteenth. I'm at I'm That's at awesome. Carnegie Hall, which is dude. Yeah, it's it's huge. It's huge. <laughs> the main thing is that you you guys know about this that most of the venues that you play, you tell your family or friends, and they're like, I don't know, I never heard of that. But <laughs> Carnegie Hall, you you can tell just about anybody anywhere that you're going to be performing at Carnegie Hall, and suddenly, oh shoot, I didn't I didn't realize you were. I didn't realize you were that good at this. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's amazing, man. That's so, and it's so, um, 
you know, you do you beyond earned it. Gary, are you going to write a show like a sitcom? Like, yeah, uh, what, what do you have exactly? Yeah, sorry, Mo, go ahead. I'm, um, I'm cutting you off. I know you're more excited. I know. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, no, are you acting? Are you, I mean, you're obviously, yeah. are you moving yeah, more just, into that world, writing, acting? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I've studied acting for, for a long time. So I, I, I've been prepared. The thing is, is that you get a lot more auditions when you, when you have a little bit bigger audience and more people know you. So, so I, I did, Amy Schumer has a show coming out, I think this, this winter on, on Hulu. So I was in like five or five episodes of that as, as pretty much, I just, I'm me, but I have a different name on the, on the show. And then I, I'm developing a series based on my, my ill-fated college football career and, and my high school and college life with, with Adam McKay and. Whoa, and, really? Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to start pitching that in, in September. And then I've been writing a book called K through 12, which is a, which is a memoir partially of the time I spent living at home at 47 after I got out of the hospital with my mom, but it reflects on my, my grade school and high school, which is where I went a, a mile away from where I moved back to at 47 years old. So, so that's the, that's, that's where most of my, my writing time goes to now. I, I, I write jokes and I write the book and, and that's, that's, that's most amazing. of my day. And I play basketball every morning. That's most of my day. I saw your turns in the, uh, in the depression. I mean, I saw that one movie, dude. <laughs> Say, oh, this guy can play some uh, ball. Shit. Yes. Yeah. I, I, um, I, I was, I was like a, uh, an early forerunner to the big fundamental. I, I had, oh, uh, man. I, had I had good footwork and, and a nice soft touch. Yeah. That's impressive, man. Now I'm a black man. I grew up in a black neighborhood and I could not play basketball for shit, but I could play well, football. But I couldn't right. Play right. But, but it's, it's interesting because as a, as a, as a person who, uh, lives in Harlem now and I married a, a black woman there are versions of every other group within every other group <laughs> like there are generalization is is it's tempting but when it comes right down to it there there are um there are different shades within every group yeah uh, exactly. it's great man. and I I Gary I we enjoyed having you man it's a, oh, this yeah, was thank a blast. you man it was so you guys awesome. asked the best the best questions that I haven't been asked and I I, I really oh, that's so nice thank oh you dude this is amazing you, I was really awesome. excited as as Mo yeah. knows and so I really appreciate you doing this awesome you. appreciate you guys we'll do all it right. again sometime. all right sounds great all right, all right. Hey. thanks all right. Bye, Gary bye man okay Mo let them know how they can support us Make sure to subscribe to Comedy Anatomy and give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Comedy Anatomy and on Twitter at Comedy underscore Anatomy.